A Christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about Christian topics. It is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a Christian perspective. Christianity provides a comprehensive view of the world. Christianity is a worldview. Worldviews are the grids. They are the lenses through which we frame all of reality. Oh, oh well, that's a bit too late though, isn't it? Anyway, Whenever you're ready. You started recording, you started recording, didn't it? What's yep. going on? Israel, you okay? Hey, hey, hey. I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Damn how's it going? I'm fine with you. I'm not pretending to know what episode number this is. Just that Episode this is, 34. There we go. Season 4, episode Woo. 34. Um, and Mary's back. It's your Mary's girl, back. Mary. Welcome back, Mary. How you been? I've been good. I've been good. It's been a while since I've actually been on the podcast. Maybe like two or three episodes. Because obviously you guys did ep- the first episode. And then you guys did uh, the social justice one. Mm-hmm. Well, if we if we can't do Shaolin one as a podcast I think we should. Episode. Okay, so it hasn't been that long then. But I've been good. I've been good. good 2019 good, good. has started. Hmm. It's going quite quickly, but um, yeah, I've been quickly. Good. <laughs> what January was quick. January was long. There were eighty days in January. I'm done. January was. It's it's only long because payday. That is that, it. Yo, okay, oh, I yeah, can't even lie. Yeah, that I is see it. That, I see that. I see that. Um, December, December early payday to the end of January. I just felt like I was getting weighed in by mm-hmm. all of these requests for cash. <laughs> I'm like, like honestly, the amount of times that and this might even be something that we discussed today. Mm-hmm. But when you just feel like your account is a black hole, <laughs> when he's coming in, things are just going just straight back out. out. Yeah. I can understand why, man, we're just like, there are 64 days, 80 days mm. in this January. Is yeah. how you been? I've been good. Um, back at work. Still keeping it up with the, or trying to keep it up with the Covenant campaign. Covenant update campaign. What's, what's, what's happening? What's the February update for the Covenant The February campaign? update. So... You sent uh, an email, actually. Yes, I... Today. If you if you aren't already subscribed, um, go on the website, cruciform.me and... Um, subscribe to the mailing list and on the mailing list uh, you'll get for now um, the plan I think between January and like June July is to have monthly updates and then once I start probably switch up to quarterly because I don't know that you guys want to hear everything I'm doing every single month but (laughs) (laughs) but for now as as I'm raising awareness raising support and so on be monthly updates and this month um, just mentioning essentially that still making progress in terms of my application um, on the on the US side, in terms of finances, things have been checked out, um, and will begin applying for my visa. On the UK side, hopefully for approval, um, trying to raise financial support to live and cover certain costs. And I had the opportunity of preaching at ERC, which is a church that's meant a lot to me. Soul and soul, and <laughs> talk about life. And uh, yeah, I gave a, a sermon on. Uh, the passage Matthew 5 verse 13 um, where Christ says to the to the disciples to the church that you're a salt of the earth but if salt has lost its taste what good is it mm. um, you preach somewhere else as well uh, we'll be preaching okay. somewhere else yeah, okay. yeah yeah so we'll preach in at ERC again soon and um, at two other churches um, IPC churches in London New City my home church and um, Emmanuel Church in Brentford I think it's Brentford. Lots of preaching Brentford. engagements. Yeah, Brentford. Yeah. Huh? Lots of preaching yes, engagements. Yes, 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 yes. So yeah. really excited for that. Um, it's good. Thankful for it. Yeah. Calm, yeah. calm. Um, Mary, you were at an event yesterday. Yes, I was. Um, and I guess the event is to do with the book that we are going to be thinking through over the next couple of weeks and just more generally um, from some topics emanating from the book. 
The book is called Is This It by Rachel Jones. This is it. Um, <laughs> the difference Jesus makes to that. Hmm. Um, perhaps before we get into the events yesterday. Yeah. Um, can you give us a bit of background as to how we came about this book? Yeah. Um, big up Gabrielle Samuel. I don't Shout out to Gabby Samuel. Don't think she'll mind. Anyone who came to the live show, she was on the panel. I think she was on the first panel. Um, but yeah, she's um, she's well known in the Christian fear. So to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so uh, Rachel Jones actually reached out to her, kind of was asking her who, who she thinks would want to kind of receive this book, who would be interested. Gabby kind of mentioned us and then Rachel contacted us and nicely sent us some free books. Um, mm. Yeah, and it's Is This It by Rachel Jones. And yesterday I went to her um, book launch, which was actually really good. It was in uh, Tootin Broadway. Um, but no, it was it was really good. Dope. It was really good. Um, so Gabby was on the panel. Another fellow called Sam, I've forgotten his surname, um, but he's from Premier Christian Magazine. And then Rachel as well, uh, Rachel Jones, just kind of answering various questions, going through similar, similar chapters and picking out kind of the key highlights and the key points that the book promotes so no it was it was a good event it started snowing so i dipped out early um but no it was it was a good event event. um i mean we'll be talking about um two or three topics that come out of the book but interestingly i remember when t sent this message into the group about um is this it and i saw the book cover and i went and did like a google search of the book to see what information was out there because um is this it the difference jesus makes to that and like, if you're looking at the, just the front cover of the book, I guess I'm going to go on and ask you guys what were your first expectations before you even opened it. But because it's got a picture of an avocado, mm. mm-hmm. um, I kind of had an inclination about where this book might be leading, or I had some assumptions rather about where this book might be leading. And like, when you read the front, it's kind of got, where is my life going? Will I end up alone? Am I failing at life? I hate my job. Um, and I guess this is not meant to be um, a slight at, at Rachel, but I did kind of wonder why a book of this nature would be relevant to me as a 20-something-year-old black man mm-hmm. um, from East London. Would our true, life true. experiences have been the same? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, Rachel, obviously. Yeah. And I guess when I picked up this book, I was looking at it. The avocado, I think, was almost symbolic of the kind of life that encapsulates this the issues that she's trying to deal with, mm-hmm. specifically quarter-life crises. Mm-hmm. But actually, because our experiences culturally and as we've just grown up, are so different. Yeah. I did look at this book and kind of wonder, hmm, quite skeptically, what am I going to be able to get out of it? So it would be interesting to hear what your own perspectives were on, just what your your first initial thoughts were on the book. In terms of the book cover, mm-hmm. I had, I guess, a similar thought. I kind of went a different direction, right? Okay. My thoughts, when I saw the avocado, I thought straight away of uh, millennials. Right. And I think it's the quintessential symbol mm-hmm. of millennials. I think if you could make a flag for millennials, it would be an avocado. Well, yeah. see... Uh, that's one of the stereotypes but, I feel like is, I know but is, I think she might pushed be about millennials right she might but be. I, I I think yeah I, I, I think that would I think that I'm on the side that thinks that's actually the symbol for millennials avocados and, yeah. and what was it we were talking about in the car skinny lattes or something yeah like <laughs> <laughs> no but I think it has been the sign of like I, I think that avocado to- toast yeah um, and I think it's, it's right, more right, than right. it's more than I guess it's on the go it's a it's a it's a slight jab but it actually is pointed to, I think, the idea of um, millennials being characterised as a group or generation who want to sort of like do something different and explore a bit. It's the same. It's the same idea behind uh, millennials. Who, I'm like, does avocado really show that? 
is because it, 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 it wasn't a thing. Though. Like it wasn't a thing. What ten years ago it was not a thing. What? It's in, what what he means by that. It wasn't like because there was a period where it was like avocado is like one of the healthiest things to eat. Right. It's good fats. It's um. It's you can put in your salad. You can yeah, eat with yeah. this. You can eat with mm. that. And I think the millennials did kind of grab the avocado. Is if I want to be healthy. If I want to be, I don't know the new. Yeah, I don't I even know. Even lie. To be honest, mm. at work when everybody's getting breakfast and I'm getting like a big fat fry up, I'm seeing people <laughs> with like avocado, two poached eggs. But it's not and nice. Like a half slice of brown bread. I actually do um, not like avocados. No, I don't like Nobody it. And I feel like it's being sorry. shoved in my face everywhere where I go to eat. I don't know that I actually know what it tastes like. And I that's, that's a don't real think I actually want to fall. explore <laughs> what nice. it tastes like. But like coffee and stuff. People have been drinking coffee for thousands of years. <laughs> no, but... I, so... Fair, fair. But I think it's it's the amount of money that millennials have, have been seen yeah. to like spend yeah, on yeah. coffee and avocados and all Well, that's the accusation, right? Super, the reason why you can't afford a house. And stuff. Yeah. Oh. Re- no, no, no. So you know this, this guy came, uh, I can't remember, like he was like a big kind of property guru. Mm-hmm. He came out and basically said the reasons why millennials can't afford to buy their own homes is because they're splurging on all of these life's luxuries like avocado toast and mm. artisan coffee at all of these highly priced coffee shops mm-hmm. I have one in mind but I'm not going to say where because wow in fact it's one of Mary's favourite places <laughs> shout out girls shout <laughs> out girls yeah. <laughs> we'll cut this off the podcast <laughs> no, we try, can leave it on we're not, I try, love no, girls. We're not trying to, we're not, we're not to shoot at them but oh. yeah the, I guess the accusation is kind of like millennials this is where you spend all of your money yeah on enjoying mm. life's luxuries as opposed to kind of being prudent and planning yeah and you know thinking about your future mm-hmm. um, and to a large degree I think some of that stuff is just unfairly um, accused of millennials. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case for for a large number of millennials. And in particular, I do wonder if um, maybe something will open up as well, whether that is the experience of black British millennials. Do you know? Mm. I don't know. Lots of I people. think increasingly it is. That's okay. what I was going to say as well. I think as you enter, you know, it has a lot to do with social class as well, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Um, because I think the the kind of disposable income you need, I think, to to have the freedom to even consider it, um, obviously, is a big pa- big factor. Right. Um, and so, as as progressively, um, thankfully, as uh, Black people are moving, sort of in, in terms of social mobility, that's creating space for the, those kinds of considerations in um, Black British space. Yeah. So, um, I guess we'll move on to the the first kind of. Um, point coming out of the book actually interesting question just before we get into what is a quarter life crisis mm-hmm. you, Rachel starts the book with um, what was it 31 reasons you might need this book yeah mm-hmm. did either of you do a tally I, I, I did. did okay cool <laughs> I don't remember what it was okay I think I, think I wrote it in the book okay cool no I do actually I was in the you need this book category you need this book category so, so I was between 10 and 20 points okay which yeah. it, would we say is that quite high same like, I was saying that's quite high do you high. know what your, what your number was I don't remember I got 12 right. that's not that bad 12 out no, of what I just made it in, out of 20 no sorry out of 31 so Rachel lists a number of reasons 31 to be precise yeah. as to why you might <clears throat> need this book if you're over 20 points um, her suggestion is that you really need this book because you've reached the age that you thought you'd have life figured out by and you're disappointed to find out that you don't um, if you're somewhere between 10 to 20 points, you still need the book. <laughs> um, you're doing an okay job at keeping it together as a fully functioning grown-up. If you're between one and nine points, where I found myself, um, you kind of need this book. Really, though, Damien? Legit. <laughs> I think my tally was somewhere like five or six. 
Wow, damn, you've got it all together, no, though. No, no, so this yeah. is so <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily Goals. because I have it all together, but I think perhaps some of those scenarios that were posed were not necessarily applicable for me. No, give an example, please. So, what wasn't so are you saying what wasn't relevant? No, I think one thing I will say is, and I've like there's a, she almost wrote to people who don't live at home and are renting, right? And obviously, I live at home, right? Well, no, no there were things, four. there were things, yeah, there were things, question about, four. You still keep loads of stuff in the house you grew up in because you <laughs> still live true. there. Yeah, that's why I, I, I gave myself a point. I was like, what yeah, kind of point. a plot twist was right. that? So like one of them ah, was... that was good. Um, but like, I'm trying to think now. Mm, you don't know how to do grown-up things like defrosting a freezer or paying your bills without looking it up on the internet or calling a real adult. Okay, yeah, that's not that. Yeah, that, 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 I, didn't, I didn't give myself a point for that one. Right, do you know what I mean? Man's been defrosting freezers. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> since I was like six. <laughs> I've been ironing shirts. I've been, I don't, I've been, oh, to be fair, like I'd paid bills when I was younger and stuff yeah. like that. There are just maybe, and I think maybe this comes from the kind of cultural, cultural upbringing. Yeah, that is. means that there are certain expectations of you as a teenager or adolescent person, particularly in the black British context, that mean that some of these things may seem quite foreign to you. But that's not to say that the book entirely wasn't... Um... Be careful, I think you're hitting a bit oh. of the... Sorry. Yeah. That's not to say entirely that the book was not relevant um, because there, there are a number of good things to discuss. Yeah. So um, we'll move on to the definition of a quarter-life crisis. How would you guys um, define a quarter-life crisis? I mean, it's okay for you to confess if you feel you're in one. Um, this is all a place for us to talk. This um, is a safe space, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I catch myself from time to time. It happened when I turned 26. So I, I, it didn't happen when I was 25. I don't know if that's what she thinks is the, the mark of a quarter life crisis. But I remember getting to 26 thinking, raw, like this kind of taking tally of my life and where I expected to be. And she said something yesterday that was really good about how like happiness is equals reality minus expectations. Um, right. And I thought that was a really good point because I remember turning 26 and thinking, oh, I thought I'd be either married or I thought I would have children by now or I thought I'd um, I thought I'd have like an amazing job or I thought I'd have bought a house and none of those things apply. And I was thinking, oh, like, what am I going to do with my life? By the time I know I'm going to be 60. Um, and I just had to pause. Um, and I think it's quite hard because social media, um, your peers, sometimes you look at your friends or your people that you know and you feel like they've got everything together and you're just looking at yourself and thinking wow like do i even know what i'm doing mm. next week how much have i even saved this year stuff like that um so i think i have a perpetual kind of quarter life crisis it usually comes around my birthday um <laughs> coming up where i kind of pause again right and then there's like external pressures so like ever since i turned 26 my mom is really 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 <laughs> pushing the marriage talk now right um and that's kind of adding to it um but yeah is you how do you feel about quarter life crises? He um, he's not even a quarter life yet. Oh, let's well, move. actually, so this is, I think, maybe it's, <laughs> <laughs> he's turning this what, year. Sure, no, but I think, I think <laughs> it's, real, maybe, I was gonna say, like, maybe it's one thing for us to consider. Bleeding. Like, I don't know what life expectancy is like in the UK, right? Okay, because 70s, maybe late 60s, 70s, maybe so. Like, because the quarter life crises might come. A bit earlier for some people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or later. So it's very plausible that despite the fact that he's not 25, despite <laughs> the fact that Israel in his, is in his uh, early 20s, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, his quarter life crisis is not like, around the corner. <laughs> I think, but, but I think the quarter life crisis is, is sharing the same mood as the um, midlife crisis in right. that it's not a specific age per se as it yeah. is 
a sort of um, experience um, that occurs because mid- midlife crisis is essentially like you've done everything you needed to do right you've hit all the targets and then you're like whoa is that it yeah the next thing for me is to just go old and die yeah i no, because no, you, you you know your kids have gone to the best unis that you wanted them to you've become vp at the bank you've always wanted to work at yeah you know you've got your house you've always wanted to have everything's done and you sort of like say okay bam what next yeah how am i going to enjoy buy a ferrari that that's literally because you're like what do i do now that's israel's plan to enjoy his pension (laughs) (laughs) as a minister (laughs) (laughs) you don't know my god (laughs) so um i think i think the the quarter life crisis as a mood is more like you you had ideals of your 20s right yeah you had ideals of your 20s and when you enter 20 it is nothing but the ideal and that will look different for different people based on what the ideal was and where they are as well yeah because you you know for for a lot of us i think it was we always had this one job we knew we wanted to do so again if you if you grew up in 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 like an african household it was the it was the standard four was the medicine it was the doctor law accounting what's the other one engineering Engineering. and you've and you've you've had that dream or something and then things happen you go to a different uni you do a different degree and you try to like re-engineer yourself and you're kind of struggling you graduate and you're still trying to re-engineer yourself but it's not really working out and then you sort of like just wake up one day as you're making your way to the job that you never thought you would do ever and you sit there at your desk and you think whoa Mm. (laughs) and it's sort of like this disillusionment because where you are right now is nothing like you planned or hoped or dreamed or mm-hmm. and you kind of think okay what do i do because nothing has turned out the way it was i thought i would be married have owned my first house be in this particular line of work doing this particular kind of thing feeling this kind of fulfillment but i'm doing everything but that mm-hmm. um and it's how do i navigate that reality mm. um which I, I i think in in that definition it can occur at any age but i think generally speaking in the 20s right early 30s because that's when it first hits you right mostly mm. i think the guy the guy who she referred to in the book um i forgot his name but she said a friend basically referred to it as when you've been out of education for a while and you start to realize that this is forever the next, <laughs> the next nine to five li- is every day right the next big life event is retiring or dying <sighs> um which I don't necessarily think is is true for us all, right? There are other large life events that can take place between those two points, A and B. What do you believe about the ethics of life events, by the way, guys? Should we make that a whole topic? You better put that in, that, in, <laughs> in our Q and A segment. Because no, for real, like the historically, of- historically, right? Humanity has never made such. I, it's not to say that we can't do this, but this is this is a thought experiment. This is literally on the spot. I haven't, okay. I haven't thought I haven't thought about this and reasoned it out yet. Okay, cool. So I'm thinking out loud historically humanity hasn't made a big deal of what we make a big deal out of now and that includes everything from birthdays to weddings um to Why gender you... reveal like as in okay. I'm, not, I'm not saying that these things are wrong yeah, yeah, yeah but i'm saying that have we thought about the implicit or unintended consequences of major life events that we have essentially not i'm trying to use words that are not negative but i'm thinking of blown out of proportion no I get, I get what you're saying like we've made it big yeah. and therefore one of the impacts is that one of the consequences is that when we don't have the big thing we feel less fulfilled because we feel like life necessitates these big and when that big thing isn't yours as well right. yeah. i remember speaking to someone and she was just telling me that she spent a lot of last year going to other people's 
big thing. Right. And it's it's past and you think, okay, where's mine or yeah. when's the next one? Yeah. So you, you spend a year kind of looking forward to six things and right. then mm-hmm. those things happen, the year goes past and you're thinking, okay, what have I even done this yeah. year? And then that kind of creates another cycle of looking forward to the next six events and, and so forth. So I don't know that historically people haven't made a big deal out of things that can be celebrated. So in my mind, I'm thinking historically people have, would have always had large celebrations at weddings, mm-hmm. um, birthdays. Okay. I don't know how birthdays were celebrated like in the 1800s, but it, it's <laughs> like legit. It may have been a big thing then. I think the difference is visibility, right? And this is going to be a point that we will have to explore a bit further today in that there is, there is not so much access to what is being done. Well, there is there is far more access now right. to what is being done than there was, say, even just 40 years ago, mm. where X, Y person who you don't know wouldn't have been able to see what you did on your birthday and how it all came together mm. with the drones and Instagram quick summary. So I'm not sure necessarily that I'll, I'll give you the gender reveals because that's a new one. I'm not going to lie. The gender reveals <laughs> is a new one, right? <laughs> And thank God for babies because it's wonderful. Yeah. But I do yeah. find myself, catch myself at some of these things just like, this is like a strange phenomenon quite. Yeah, like, my mum, all my, my, my days, my mum hates gender reveals. She's like, what is this? Like, she just finds it so strange. Is it baby? Yeah. Like, well, then, girls. <laughs> she's like, you'll find out. Like, she's always like, you'll right? find out. Um, but after that last intermission, I think what I was basically explaining is that perhaps there's a new category of life events that mm-hmm. with the increased visibility in our generation means as if we are... Um, exponentially appreciating them far more than they ought to be um but yeah that's a good point you make um I th- when you said that I, I instantly thought of instagram mm. um and i think the sort of like psychological pressure it puts on people to have extravagant um well not again not extravagant extravagance has existed for a long time but i think to the pressure to one up the other person or to just ensure you're at the top of the scale in terms of impressiveness um, today you're missing out on just the joy of the event itself and focus more so on the reception of the joy right when you p- display or make it visible to other people that formal yeah, yeah it's like if i haven't so for me i just stopped like if we, I, I remember one time i was at a wedding and like the bride and groom came in and you just saw a sea of phones and i was just like right first of all your quality not everyone's camera quality is even banging so me and my <laughs> iphone 6s don't know who's even seen anything and she said you guys, man with androids <laughs> put your phone away <laughs> and secondly Jokes. it's like take it in so i've just made a conscious decision not to be around not to use my phone just trying to be present in the moment right um because it's like i'm recording to document for other people to show them i'm having a good time so right. that, mm. and then you go on instagram and you're looking and you're having and you're looking at everyone else's and then it's killing your mood you're thinking oh, everyone else i is think so there happy. was a um a late modernist poet um aubrey graham who, <laughs> um, who Drake. once, who once, who once uh, uh, said something along the lines of there's a girl who's taking pictures um w- during a time in paris to then post it three months rome. later when she gets rome lol <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> off the back of that um those wise words from that modern day poet <laughs> Um, we can't, yeah, so we went off on that kind of um, thought experiment, but social media, I guess, does mm. does play a part in in this life experience. But maybe we'll just revert it back to um, whether Christians are susceptible to this hmm. to this challenge of quarter life crises. Yep. Oh, and definitely. I guess the answers that we've already given so far yeah. definitely make it apparent mm-hmm. that um, that they are. 
Yeah, there's this quote that um, John Piper mm-hmm. wrote, and I just when I first read it, I was just like, "Wow!" And I think everyone, well, I've sent it to a lot of people. People have shared it with me, and it's just like, "Yes!" And it's, it speaks about um, occasionally weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be, grieve the losses, feel the pain, then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life that He's given you. Mm. And I think it ties into that whole kind of expectations, the dreams, the hopes that you had, of what your life would be, and then you get to a certain age, and you think, "Wow." I'm, I'm not as happy as I thought I would be. I haven't accomplished as much. I haven't done this, I haven't done that. And then obviously John Piper is able to tie it with the whole hope that we have in Christ. But I think embracing the losses and weeping deeply over the life you thought you would have is for many Christians very real. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, And it does tie in with the whole kind of quarter life crisis of is this, is this what life was supposed to be? I mean, is, is this, would you guys say this is like new phenomena or um, for, for modern day Christians or is it something that Christians of the past would have, would have experienced? I think, well, Christians, humans, therefore Christians, mm-hmm. have always had desires, um, ambitions, longings, uh, sort of dreams um, mm-hmm. as to what they want to see accomplished with their lives. And so that means that as long as our longings and desires have existed, disappointment has existed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, what I think is distinctive about us is the way we are handling Yeah the disappointment because there are more factors and more uh, voices, modern voices, new voices through um, different avenues speaking into how we are meant to respond. Mm. Um, so you have like, I know for example, um, this is the one that comes to mind, I'm sure there are more, is like the recent, not recent, I don't know how recent this is, um, but sort of like relatively modern um, I reinvention of stoicism um, that has crept up in like the business world that essentially says you know if you want to this is this is specifically in entrepreneurship if you want to grow your business you've got to be very like um tough rigid structured and it gives like essentially like a formula so a lot of entrepreneur gurus give this formula so if you follow this exactly then your business is going to go from 10 viewership um to 10 million right yeah and not to shade him I'm thinking Gary Vaynerchuk, for example. That man popped into my head too. Um, well, go ahead. And things like that where people listen to it and I'm sure obviously these people, they say a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. So it's not to say that it's rubbish, but one of the, I guess, impacts of that kind of um, take is when people don't do it. So when you've been listening to Gary Vaynerchuk for five years mm-hmm. and you've been working on your marketing company and it's about to go bust. Right. Mm. the way you're going to respond to the disappointment is different because you've essentially it's the carrot in front of your face that you never got to bite mm. um, and what do you do when you never get to bite it? it has a very severe impact on, on your psyche and so on mm. um, I feel like I went off track <laughs> I was thinking of, um, of um, so when I think of women in the bible especially those who experience barrenness mm-hmm. I think of like disappointment so mm-hmm. even um so Rachel, when she says, like, give me a child or I'll die, mm-hmm. Leah, like, just there's, like, so many women who really struggled with uh, the inability to have children. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and even Leah, I think she has a child, and she says, oh, now now um, Jacob will love me. And then she just has, like, a sea of children hoping. That, and, I, and I just, I don't know, I'm trying to humanise it in the fact that that must have been so painful. And of right. course, there's, there's, there's countless of other examples of, of people in the Bible who really did struggle with 
the disappointment of life. I'm sure Leah thought she was going to marry a guy that's going to love her and cherish her. And he just happens to really love her sister. Um, and also she, she, she wasn't pretty. So I, I could even imagine just from dealing with her father, was it her father Laban? And, and he met, he already knows that mm. Rachel's pretty. Mm. So even those little things. Um, so yeah, of, of course they would have dealt with a lot of like disappointment yeah. and pain and losses and so forth. How, how would you guys, um, I'll run that back. Uh, would any of you say that you are experiencing a quarter life crisis? And if no, what ways, we're trying to make this a bit more personal. What ways would you say that your lives are not how you imagined them? You go first, Dami. <laughs> how is my life not how I imagined, how I imagined it would be when I was younger? I'm not a footballer for Man U. Not. <laughs> That's one. Who really thought you were going to be Martial? No, I I think it's it's, it's kind of hard for me to think back to where I was when I was like five, six, even 10, 11, thinking Hmm. about where I'd be Mm -hmm. when I'm in my my mid-20s. I think by the grace of God, by and large, the stuff that I've wanted to achieve, um, I have achieved. Yes. Um, And... But I appreciate that, that that's not everybody's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess then the perspective turns from, okay, if not everything I wanted to do when I was X age has happened by Y age, how do I, how do I rationalize those disappointments? How do I take perspective of where I am and what I want to do? Have I thought about perhaps changing those expectations, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I think maybe... Yeah, okay. One real way in which my my life has has changed is actually becoming a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I remember particularly at a point when I wasn't okay. So when 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 life wasn't going the way that I anticipated it to go. So um, when I probably just around the end of uni, just come out of uni, and I guess this is maybe particularly pertinent for a number of people um, looking for work, looking for Rough. jobs, mm-hmm. and um, you know I was really really pushing, 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 pushing to try and, and find a position in some corporate sphere. I wasn't sure where, um, but it just felt like things weren't landing. And I was I was working a lot of, uh, do I say, jobs that I was dissatisfied with. Um, I was, <laughs> yo, I remember working at the Olympics with like a 20 kg, um, 25, yeah, 20, 25 kg, um, what's this thing called? Keg mm-hmm. of like Fosters on my back, just <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> serving pints to to customers at the Olympics, like and stuff like that, and just thinking, right, that's been my summer. I'm still trying to find work, all of this kind of stuff. Like I'm mm. done with all of these kind of jobs. Like I need to, um, I, I need to land the career path or whatever that I want to get into. Um, and then I remember almost tying my life up in achieving that goal, achieving that ambition. Mm. Then in the summer of 2014, when I still hadn't really secured what it was that I wanted to do, becoming a Christian, and just having my mind opened and my eyes opened into a world that is far bigger than that Mm -hmm. one particular ambition that I had. Um, Praise God that actually, um, you know, that door has been opened. But actually it was, it was, it was... (laughs) it was comforting for me to reach a point where I appreciated that I could hold that thing quite loosely. Yeah. Because 
you know, there were far more important things for me to, to be focused on. You know, mm. I could serve my church. I could love my friends more. I could be a better son. Um, I could love Christ more. I could I could grow in my faith and in my knowledge and stuff like that. So when I started to to hold that thing more loosely and just have my mind opened up to a world far bigger um, than what I'd imagined perhaps that I would be doing, you know, 17, 18 after getting my A-level results, it was very freeing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, actually there is a way in which life's changed. Yes, How about you guys? Um, well, I've, I, I think mine has been a string of desire, disappointment, change, desire, disappointment with one sort of like more recent thread of desire. Um, st- earliest ambition was to be a NASA astronaut. Um, <laughs> that was quickly crushed. You were um, really dreaming big though. <laughs> oh yeah, didn't you write to them as well? Yeah, yeah. so I, I kind of applied for this um, young sp- um, astronauts program thing wow. which I think when I think back to it I, I, mean, I mean this is a lot this is like early secondary school so my memory is hazy but I, I I think it was probably just a summer school um, but in the moment it felt like this big thing that if I go to it then you know it opens a door to the possibility of being an astronaut my application was shut down so quick <laughs> I, was just, I was just like I was just like nah but then I developed an interest in neuroscience and um, neurology and I think I think with with that desire, um, there was a season in which it was met. So I I, I actually went to medical school for That's two how years. I met Israel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think in that in that time it was it was very much, wow, yeah, I'm here, and then I'm going to graduate, and then I'm going to become a doctor, I'm a neurosurgeon, and so on and so forth. Um, and then I was no longer in medical school. <laughs> Just like that. Exactly. Just like that, and that I think the first two and a half years after leaving medical school was definitely pretty much I think co- constitutive of a quarter life crisis mm-hmm. in terms of thinking, okay, what do I actually do now? Because I have no bearing, no orientation. Um, I had, I had, so I, I had become a Christian before going to um, medical school, and I had, and I had a growing desire to go into ministry and to preach while in medical school, and I knew that I wanted to be a preacher long term. But for the first time, I didn't have a 10-year plan. Right. Because unlike medical school and being a doctor and so on, ministry didn't come with a laid out plan. They didn't say after your two years in foundation, you go and you do um, residency in this place and, you know, then you apply for um, surgery training. and stuff. There's no structured mm. um, plan like that. So it's kind of like, oh, I have this vague desire mm. um, and ambition to be a preacher but i have no idea what that looks like i have no idea where that looks like mm. i can't you know just uh, things are in the air mm. um and i'd never really been in that space before um but slowly i think part part of growing as a christian is is is, is two things learning to um admit to the um uh, indeterminacy of life that you don't like it's not determined you know you you really don't know what life brings and then also learning to um look to the uh god of life who Mm -hmm. actually holds life itself and there's this and it's a how i experience it how i experience it is this constant going back between anxiety and faith right Mm. um where you have faith because you know okay god owns my life he's he rules my life he's in control and he loves me and he cares and so i can trust in him even though i don't know and my knowledge is limited and my experience is limited but then there's, there's this this 
you know, concurrent experience of, but I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And there's anxiety and um, fear that comes out of it. And just moving, the I believe help my unbelief right. kind mm. of dynamic there. Um, and that's, I think that's one thing I've been sort of experiencing more recently um, in this particular season. Mm. Um, I, I, I get, yeah, that's, I, I, that's, I think I would describe sort of my experience in that, in that area. Mary, if I ask you a follow-up you question. You guys have been so like, Introspective, open, <laughs> relax, I'm just relax. Like, yes, guys, this um, is opening up. <laughs> but I'll, I'll ask you a question, and I guess how how have you in like conversation with say unbelieving friends? Mm-hmm. How has their experience of the is this it phenomena of the quarter life crisis perhaps differed to you as a believer? Mm. How 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 have those conversations gone? What yeah, kind of things are they worried about? Yeah, it's it's yeah because I've got um from time to time I'll meet with friends from like from secondary school or sixth form or uni and there's a lot of like reminiscing mm. um and especially with unbelievers there's they um there's that kind of they they look to the forward to the same life events that that we do that we've kind of touched upon um but then there's that sort of dissatisfaction of what what will be of me when I'm 50 or 60 or 70 and and will I have x y and z um and and some of the uh, conversations like I remember speaking to someone and she felt very lonely she had just come out of like a long-term relationship and she was thinking am I gonna get another guy am I gonna get married am I gonna have kids I'm getting old blah 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 and like we, we could giggle together and kind of share similar like experiences or similar fears but for me, it was like understanding the, the love of the father, knowing that he would never leave me nor forsake me mm. and, and wanting to kind of communicate that to her. Because in my head, I was thinking, OK, let's say you do get married and you do have children. You're going to be anxious about having kids and then you're going to be anxious about your kids not being bad gang. So like there's always <laughs> going to be something that's going to give you some sort of uncertainty. Right. And it's like you don't have that foundational um, grounding in, in mm. Christ. And, and, and that's always been sometimes I walk away with my sometimes I walk away from conversations with unbelievers and feel so discouraged because it's like, oh, you have nothing to, you, you have nothing to look forward to. And it's, it's, it's a very like, so example with this girl, she was like, oh, things will just get better. Everything will be all right. It's right. just like an empty platitude. Right. And you say it to yourself, but I wonder if you, when you go home, do you really believe it? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's always interesting because I'm always trying to convey mm-hmm. the gospel and how Christ does deal with all of, all of the things that concern us and all the things that give us like unrest. Um, but yeah, it's, it is very tough sometimes because you have similar issues yeah. and you're just trying to slip in the, yeah, the gospel and the how... gospel nuggets. Yeah, it's so hard with, with unbelievers sometimes. I think um, one of the things that I appreciated about um, Rachel's commentary in the first chapter of the book dealing with dissatisfaction was the reminder um, about shaping your perspective. So she gives the example of the binoculars yeah. that use the small focals. So, so they're facing outwards and you're you're looking at the big focals. So what you're looking at far, further out seems much smaller than it actually is because you're looking with the binoculars the wrong way around. Right. And I think just one of the freeing things again about perspective is that if you have an eternal perspective, you, you, you can lament or you can be frustrated at present circumstance, mm. but ultimately you can also think long-term and think about the imminence of eternity mm. and how your present situation isn't your forever situation. Mm. That'll is... preach. <laughs> he said, Yo, your what present you situation <laughs> is not your, your forever situation. <laughs> right. Uh. But, but essentially that was such, that was again, very encouraging to me. And I think she did a good job of conveying that, that just that, that focus. Yeah. Um, um, 
on, on that point in particular. Kind of switch tack um, from the quarter life crises and dealing with dissatisfaction and moving on to an area where like a lot of, a lot of people feel frustrated. Mm-hmm. Work. <laughs> Work. Work is peak. And I even just gave an example not too long ago about a job that I hated. My back was breaking. Hmm. Like I was Lord coming home. Frosters. Yo, crazy hours. Hunters are shouting abuse at serving alcohol. <laughs> relax, relax. Israel, you know, are you not sighing? Sighing. You were working at a pub. I was serving Israel. Oh <laughs> wow, wow. That took one sharp turn. Right, no, no, no. Oh my. But like, yo, I was coming home just vexed. You know that yeah. every day, yeah. like checking emails. You know what it is. Oh. You're looking for a job and you keep you keep tapping the, and you get no, and you, oh, further to what is it? What's what's yo, the line? Um, further to oh, what is it? It's kind of like um, thank you for your application. Oh. We regret yeah. to inform you. When I oh. Every time I saw one of them. When they start with, we had a high volume of. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, there were times where, like, you might make an application. I don't even think them man read it. They didn't. You get that rejection email, like, straight. Mm. You're just like, the amount of time and effort I put into writing this, and you just want to, like, nah, 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 nah. Some instant emails that that, that are responding. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those things. I think there's, at least with, like, graduate schemes, I think there are some where they have, like, Automatic checklist. Checklist. Yeah, so all so the like if you don't meet like the, the certain educational things, it's like it just sends out straight away, mm. and that just. Mm. And then you get the job, and then you still hit it. <laughs> <laughs> right, but, but that's but that's that's a real thing. Like, um, Monday has this whole concept of of dread. Somebody actually at work was it this? No, was it last week Tuesday? I was told it's called the bluest day of the year. Oh yeah, have you heard about this? I think that was the twenty first of January. Something like that. Apparently, it's the most like morbid a, day yeah. of the year. Huh. You have to wear like bright colors and stuff. Something because everyone is just so upset about the fact that they're coming on this day. It's miserable. Nobody wants oh, to yeah. be here. Everyone's kind of just like, oh, yeah. yeah, this is life. And I can't lie. I've caught myself a few times like on my morning commute, just looking at the faces of people on my train and just kind of thinking, hmm. Mm. TFL, snorts, <laughs> right? I, and you know, as you say, I can picture. It. Yeah, yeah like, me. I'm thinking of that jubilee line as well. And I'm just like, wow. aside from the fact that I'm paying through the nose to even use Listen, this sweaty cramp, you stand and to be stuck facing. Let me even describe it on air. Like. Is then okay? I'm seeing the faces of people who are going to places where they mm-hmm. are just so frustrated at the fact that yeah. it's going to be another mm. tiresome day. Mm. They're going to be talked at. By colleagues that they don't particularly like, mm. working for somebody that they'd rather not listen to, um, dealing with a job or task that really just grates their gears, but because they have bills or responsibilities, oh, that's literally it. Whatnot, yeah, this has to get done. And with the growth, you know, economic booms that have happened in in recent history, uh, you don't immediately see the. Um, impact of your work so it's like you might spend the whole day filing s- documents and stuff and then you go home and you're like wait what did i actually do today mm. and so the sense of accomplishment or progress or finishing something and seeing growth and flourishing which in, in a sense we were designed for you don't see that um it's easy to get trapped in a wheel mm. and just be spinning and spinning and thinking, why <laughs> where am i actually going with yeah. this um yeah it's 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 uh I and, to describe it. And work is like actually hard work as well. Mm-hmm. So sometimes right. I speak to people who actually do enjoy the majority of their work, but 
getting up early, mm. sitting through meetings, it still becomes very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think there is this picture of, there's like, I, I don't know what the quote is, but something along the lines of, if you enjoy your work, you won't even feel like work. You just, <laughs> and it's like, no. <laughs> like, yeah. I've done jobs that I, I generally enjoy doing, but right. it's still like, oh gosh, I have to still, it's still a lot. And then you think of mm-hmm. someone who doesn't even enjoy anything of their work. Oh, Pain. it's actually, and, and for me, it's like, I've got a lot of friends who mm. are looking for work at the moment. Right. As in, they're in a job, but they spend a lot oh, of time yeah. at that job applying for another job. Let me know for some people. Oh, no, your employer. Just know, actually, your employers have that red eye thing. So they know what you're doing on the internet, by the way. <laughs> I found this out when I was on secondment somewhere, that at the end of my secondment, a report of like my um, we can all tell usage. what Danny's tax bracket is by the way secondment so relax secondment like a download of all the stuff I'd viewed done da, 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 my time spent was sent to her so when you was when you was on Desiring Gold Gospel Coalition instead of doing your work you was... no the one the one is the Yo. one is doing some email correspondence at work finding out that the, the, uh, there's actually like analytics to find out how many times your email has been opened mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and someone's like this email's been opened so we, we all we, I know that we've all read it <laughs> and it's like whoa hold up hold up I didn't because I didn't remember clicking no yeah, red yeah, receipt yeah. so and it's like yeah there, there, there are ways to to know what's happening yeah a lot, a lot of people I know who just don't, who hate their job mm-hmm. absolutely hate their job mm-hmm. do not want to do it if not for bills mortgage rent would not, not, not step a day back into that office and it's just sad because you're going to do it for the next 30 40 years well so that's the thing when we are thinking about whether we're going to be working 30 40 years um down the line and stuff like that not me in- <laughs> i'm gonna get married you tell him um, <laughs> one rich guy come and deliver me <laughs> um, but no like thinking about that because in a in a in a time where um, millennials in particular are switching jobs very regularly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Rachel gave the, a statistic in the book about by the age of 32, m- in this day and age, most people have already worked like four different jobs. Yeah. Um, but I can count. Is that a lot? I'm already at three. So. <laughs> Maybe. Because that is quite a lot. I, yeah, I'm assuming you started at 21. So let's say you did a standard three-year degree after you. Well, this is the thing. I think, it, I think it's... Over com- the space of 11 years. That's still quite a lot. It's quite a lot. I think, com- and, it, oh. and maybe they're comparative statistics, right? So like our parents and stuff, oh, right, a number of right, people okay. who may have just Stayed got profession straight out of school. Yeah. Like my mum has been doing her job longer than I've been alive. Wow. Yeah. That's humbling. 20, 20 25, 30 right? years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's testament yeah. to staying power. But like, mm. you know, there's loads of other factors that, mm. that feed into that. The economy. Stuff. Right. <laughs> you don't have time. If you, that's why my mum was tight. even, I was reading, um, Michelle Obama's Becoming and there's like a chapter where she's a qualified lawyer I know the book is really talking to me she's a qualified lawyer she's doing really well Mm -hmm. she's she's earning a great income her mum is working somewhere and she's just not enjoying her work she doesn't find much satisfaction in it she wants to do something else Mm -hmm. Um, and she's telling her mum like I'm dissatisfied not happy and her mum's just looking at her mum doesn't say anything but Michelle kind of notes the fact that she's looking at someone who's had to do this job has no option and here I am in this earning probably more than she is um, got greater like career potential and I'm like oh I'm so dissatisfied almost coming from a uh, I hate the word but privilege yeah. like, and our parents grandmas they didn't have a choice they just went to work they had right. to do the, those hours and they had to come home there was no about I'm not satisfied It's you have to do the job um, so you know we're grateful that the fact that we do have choice and that we are able to if we're not feeling a job leave can we talk about self-actualization bring that down I think, I think <laughs> is that another full experiment that's, this is 
kind of, but I have I have seen some things about it. Okay. Um, out there. So essentially, um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. A psychology. Hey, listen. Which, which, which I think says that you go from the most basic need to the highest, most privileged. I'll I'll use that word need. And right. so, most basic need is just food, shelter, water, right. so mm-hmm. on. And then you move up. I can't remember what they are. Let me um, bring it for you. Let me bring it for you. And and the next one is stuff like relationships or community. And then it goes up and up. And the last one is self-actualization. Yeah. So the, the idea is that if you have food, shelter, relationships, commu- community, all, and all these things, mm-hmm. and you go to the top, then you are free to actually just shape yourself. Yeah. To actually say, oh, all these other needs are met. So I, there's this, a space has been created for me to like explore who I am and my my own personal identity my own longings desires wants needs um and design for myself the kind of life that i want and i think actually that's a big part of the millennial distinction that the previous generation has created a space um that has allowed us to just say who do i want to be because i have the freedom i have the the context to navigate through different spheres to explore different careers i'm not in like our parents generation in a space where um I have to do this mm. for so long because of just sort of like economic constraints and so on. I can change jobs. So like you were mentioning about being in four jobs over 11 years, I can move from this job to that job to this job to that until I find the one that fulfills me. Mm. And so this, having the space to drive towards fulfillment um, and what that's doing to us. I think, I, I, I say it because I remember reading a post on Facebook, I think, where someone said, the, our parents' accomplishment, this is millennial speaking, wasn't actually to give us the job they've always wanted for us, but it was self-actualization to free us to decide for ourselves what we wanted to be. Yeah. And I think more than anything, that's what, when we think about like social mobility and so on, right. that's what they've given. It, wasn't always, it hasn't been the job that they wanted for us, but actually now we are free to do what we want. And, what, and that freedom is actually causing its own problems because yeah. you have so much choice yeah. it's like so you do a job and you're like i don't actually want to and then mm-hmm. you've done for another job mm-hmm. and it just becomes quite cyclical when you just i know people who just hate they've had like free and for me it's hard because i do struggle with i'm quite indecisive especially with work and i'm always thinking oh should i should i be doing something else and so if you if you don't really know what you want to do so some yeah. people have just fell in line of since age six they've always wanted to be an accountant mm. they made this, they got the qualifications now they're doing accountancy whereas i've always been i'm not really sure what i want to do so i can be in a job thinking is this really what i want to do and then mm. you just get confused like, okay if i do something else will i enjoy that and then it just yeah it's just it's a sad it's a sad state of affairs mate one more thing i think another dynamic is this um and this this ties into other things but it's come into our view of work is the it's not necessarily wrong but i think it's been ex- I've, oh, I keep on using this word overblown. Why am I using the word overblown? Anyway, uh, the idea of passion. Mm-hmm. Like one of our key markers of whether a job is for us is to have an intense passion that doesn't die out throughout. Mm. I think that comes from the romantic hangover that says our relationships must be absolutely passionate 24-7 for them to be real and true. But actually that's part of what we expect from work now. There has to be this intense passion that just fulfills every single inch of our existence yeah and unless it does that perfectly we move on to the next one and um, work is part of the the fall so there's always going to be that when kind of when god's telling mm. Adam that you're going to till the ground and you're going to sweat mm. there's that kind of 
like friction that we yeah. find with work so you might even be in your best job but just mm-hmm. we're sinful we're lazy hard work is, is not always natural to us so we, it is difficult even if you're in your favorite job that you might still hate work or hate the aspect mm-hmm. of working mm-hmm. and that's what we have to kind of encourage each other to honor our employer and not just be on skysports.com instead of <laughs> working <laughs> Even there's that was crazy. Mary, song, Mary just showing her life. <laughs> Rob, I'm on DesiringGod.com. <laughs> no, but it's crazy. I remember one time when I booked a meeting room to have an interview yeah. at my last job. I was just thinking, Mary, this is so bad. But this is like, it's so sad the things you can do at work. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, so um, I just wanted to go back on, on um, Israel's point about passion because this is something that um, Rachel deals with in her book, particularly speaking to Christians. She gives almost like a three-point, the plan, the passion, the purpose um, breakdown of how Christians ought to view their lives. And specifically about passion, she says the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing being worth, truly being, sorry, I'll rephrase. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing worth being truly passionate about. Mm. There's nothing wrong with wanting to feel alive and it's okay to yearn for more. So it's okay to want to achieve things or Mm. do things. Um, but you'll always be disappointed if you don't look in the right place for that feeling um, because you can only be made alive with Christ. Mm. And I guess I think that perspective was always key to keep in mind that in that search for more, more, more achievements, greater heights, all of that kind of stuff, none of those things will truly satisfy, right? Mm. So have that that aspect in mind. On work, you've mentioned how the fall affects work for us. So we're lazy, we are maybe like not 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 concentrating even like we're not we're not diligent yeah we're not um we're not i was going to use the term subservient but then we start getting into some real <laughs> sometimes we we work and work and work and there's no produce right yeah. but i, I think no subservient jobs. even i remember um like sometimes you get this this nature of I need to work for myself no one can tell me to do anything yeah. no I don't want to have a boss you know um, my, my, I was thinking of Dame Dash <laughs> that, that, Dame boss. Dash you better sell them cookies <laughs> my son has cookies no but there is that kind of no one can tell me anything and yeah, that yeah, authority yeah. aspect does does grind a lot of people's gears when your boss comes up to you and says do this report do it now yeah, yeah. and it's like oh and there is a, and I think even in Colossians when he talks about um, honour your employer your servant the Lord Jesus Christ that that, that notion of you want to submit to your boss because you're spit into Christ. And I think naturally that's another thing that we struggle with because it's like, oh, I'm lazy. Uh, hard work is difficult. I've got this man telling me what to do. I don't know the end result. And there is that friction that you, you find at work. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you, you touched on a few things there, but I, I guess my follow-up question was just going to be like, um, okay, if I hate my job, should I just quit? Or how should I start thinking about work? more specifically do you know what I mean like how should my perspective on work change Israel my guy here was falling asleep (laughs) (laughs) you know what's so funny I was um, I was having a discussion with some of my friends and they were fully beefing me because I was like I was like work is work if if it it doesn't fulfill you I'm sorry after a certain age you just got to do the job so I was saying if I was married and and my husband said oh I'm an accountant now yeah but he said I want to be like something else he wants to do let's Insert anything, and it might require. No, he wants to be a sous chef. He wants to be a sous chef. Yeah, that's a great one. He wants to be a sous chef. I'd be like, okay, we might let's think about it. Let's consider it. But you still need to go to that job that you don't like. Like you have to have to provide sadly. And of course, I'm all out for people enjoying their jobs. But there's an aspect of you might never enjoy your job. You just you still got to go to work. So I think there is that 
that sounds quite harsh for me because I'm always trying to say that. I mean, after a certain age, <laughs> after a certain time, sorry, but I think yeah, like work isn't going to ultimately fulfill you. So if you're at work thinking I'm so unhappy, um, I'm looking for this, and I speak to my friends and they love what they do, and I don't have that. I, I always kind of I think we have to reorientate our minds and think of that even at work even when we're dealing with um mean employers where maybe even in difficult situations the lord has put us there we still need to provide a fantastic work and sometimes i i, I, I get the sense that i can't come and kill myself even at work and it's like actually why don't you why don't you kill yourself at work why don't you throw your all into it and produce amazing work that honors the lord because it is for god so if you go to work and you're always late or um you 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 go your lunches on an hour and a half, but you don't make it up or you're always on desiring God instead of actually working. Those things are, are a shame and you can't just boil it down to, oh, I don't enjoy work. Mm. Actually, whilst you're at work, honour the Lord mm. and pray that he will open doors so that you, you'll go to another place. Um, Israel, I almost got the sense that you wanted to say, yes, but. Yeah, bring that but. <laughs> I, I, I don't think yes, but I, okay. I, I was, I was um, thinking about sort of the what it looks like to discern mm. um you're calling in the space of work while working um and what do you mean by calling <laughs> no i'm actually generally I'm uh calling as in where you where you, where, where you sense um god wants you to be okay um and to have an impact so where you can f- fully utilize your desires and your gifts, whether that's you know the skills you have, the organizational skills you have, or the creative skills you have, or you know the different skills you have, mm-hmm. um, where you can utilize them for the greatest good, for um, personal fulfillment, but also to advance a cause bigger than yourself, mm-hmm. um, and things like that. Trying to discern that, which I think is the general uh, feeling that is is in the air that people want to know that they are using their gifts and they're using their skills their knowledge their intellect for something meaningful that for, not only just fulfills them although that fulfillment thing is a big consideration but that contributes to something bigger than themselves yeah. uh, and thinking as you're describing like you know the person who's like oh I don't want to do the work so I'm just going to read all the Desiring God articles because that's what really makes me feel good and stuff like that i'm like okay what does it look like then to actually do it well um to do, to go through that discerning and that trying to figure out why you're staying faithful uh, <coughs> to the work you're presently in and that's a tough task i think like as, as i as i as i think about it that's that is generally hard um but i think actually part of it is formative <laughs> because by the time you um in god's providence actually go into that space that you you know you want to be in um, you have been taught what faithfulness looks like in mm. the face of genuine struggle, mm. um, in the face of you know just difficulty. Um, that is a really scattered thought, but that yeah. No, I, I, I get what you, I get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. Yeah, just what, what do you think, Nami? No, I was going to say. Uh, I guess as an aside, none of that is to say that you, you if you're dissatisfied with your job that you can't change. Right. Of course you can. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That you can't change or look for a new job. Please do. Um, <laughs> you can even take a month or two off and just relax. <laughs> no, mean, you can't. 
No, it depends on your you, individual you circumstances. You enjoy your Netflix. Do let me bound you by her chains. No, because like I, I know, <laughs> I I know that, um, and for different reasons. Like even if you're feeling um, dissatisfied in your job, people take sabbaticals. People do all types mm. of things mm-hmm. just mm. to take a break from the the place that they find themselves in, even because they feel unfulfilled, um, or because you know it doesn't feel like the job that they're in is currently best utilizing their skill set, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, none of this is being said to suggest that you cannot look for different opportunities elsewhere. Mm. The Lord might be pleased to open doors in other places. But I think an important thing that Israel mentioned, and I think something I've seen in my own life and in the lives of others is that the Lord might also be using this difficult period of a challenging job that you don't like to prune you and to kind of shape your attitude hmm. to work. Mm. I've, I've known that experience. I've known that experience <laughs> of being a latecomer and, um, you know, just not really giving my all whilst at work and not being generally concerned for the affairs of the company or organisation I'm working for beyond my immediate role. Mm-hmm. Because it took some time for me while I was working those very small and... Um, dare I say, thankless tasks Mm. to appreciate that the Lord wanted to see me give my best in those small things before he was, I believe, prepared to open up a door for me to walk into something Mm, um, larger. And I think it's something that Mm. I've seen with a lot of of people my age and, you know, young people that I speak to. Um, Not always to look at, not always necessarily to look at this as a very bad situation. This might be something that the Lord is using to teach you that your attitude towards a certain thing or person might need to change. Mm. And actually, once you start to develop and cultivate those good working habits, you might see that doors open up yeah. more, 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 more quickly. Mm. They might also not open up. Mm. Yeah, that's life And then well. you have to be able to deal with that, right? Yeah. And so if you find yourself still stuck in that place, then what are you doing to um, ensure that you're, you're being diligent? You're... you're um, you're, you're doing as as your boss asks you to do you know you're working heartily unto the lord mm. you're not doing this to be seen by other people but you're doing this from a genuine desire to glorify god with you know the gifts that you've been given and the work you've been asked to do etc cetera, etc cetera. so those are just some things that i think i would have to bear in mind on on that lastly yep um because we've been speaking about work and you know should i move job should i do this should i do that decision making because I guess mm. one of the big challenges for people who are facing quarter life crises is that they always feel that they're constantly at a crossroads with so many options or large choices to be made and they can't necessarily tell left from right and don't know where they want to go or where they think the Lord wants them, has them to go. Um, Rachel has a, um, a decision-making framework. Um, but before we get into to looking at that, that comes out of the book, do you think... Um, we as young black Christians, millennials, whatever, are facing more options than ever before? Are there more things available to us than there ever have been? Well, okay, I'm going to speak from a specific um, kind of experience. Go ahead. Um, so I remember when I, we were younger, so I remember speaking to this sister actually, um, and she was telling me that when she became a Christian, I think it's, it, it, it's more um, suited to, to women, um, but she became a Christian and she wanted to be like a diplomat or something. Mm. And um, people said to her, oh, well, like Cameron. Cameron, you're <laughs> no, very, you're very serious. stupid. Yo, <laughs> boy. <laughs> oh, boy. 
Hey, ma. What's up? <laughs> You're dumb. But no, Sorry, she wanted to work. Ahead. I think she wanted to do something like that. Yeah. And yeah, someone yeah. came up to her and was like, "Oh, are you sure you want to do that? You know, you want? Don't you want to get married? Don't you want to be a mother?" Da, 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 da. And, was, and so she didn't do it. Um, and I think there is like a sea of women who put themselves in a box because they're thinking of marriage. So they think, okay, if I want to be, could I be a doctor? Mm. Because if I get married, will I finish my? Da, 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 da. And I think that sometimes can, can um, kind of what's the word? Derail people from wanting to do what they want to do. Yeah. Um, and of course, there is get to that bridge, but you can't be twenty and, and already going somewhere else just because someone has said something that may or may not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of answering your question, I think, yeah, with with like social media, with uh, the options that we see, the fact that we, we don't have to be tied into one job, that we can do a lot, we can be entrepreneurs we could be influencers <laughs> we could have our own youtube channel we could do whatever we want um we could be in a corporate world we don't have to be in a corporate world we could mm. be we could we could we could be self-employed we could work in work in uh, work for someone else um and i think that is you can work in another country like there's there's so much options well, brexit might change um, that but... yeah brexit, brexit actually might <laughs> change that um and that is quite so for someone like me like, i remember when i was like 18 and i had no idea what i wanted to do and even now like there's still a I'm interested in a lot of things. Hmm. So at times I'm just thinking, I don't actually know. And yeah. then I'll think of, okay, if I went, if I go to um, France for two months, what would I miss in those two months? Would something happen at, in London? And mm. then I start overthinking and, and it can really cripple people mm-hmm. um, because you, you just don't know what to do. And if I go this way, would I miss out on something that could have happened in an alternative world? It's, it's, it is quite difficult. We are met with a lot of options and, and we want to honour the Lord and we want to do all things that are pleasing to him and we want to walk in his will, so to speak. Um, and it can be difficult to make the right decisions. I agree. Um, uh, I, as the last part really, really stuck out to me because I just thought just of... Some, it's been, I, I've been wrestling with it recently myself, actually. The idea of competing desires. Mm. Um, mm. And it's like, how, how do you... How do you navigate competing desires, all of which are genuine and um, good? Yeah, and open a space for so much um, flourishing and enjoyments and good coming out of it. And it just that's that's been a big one for me personally. So I felt that <laughs> as you, as you were saying it. Uh, so I think, but yeah. So in in answer to the question more specifically, one one um, aspect of the issue of decision making is just the idea of competing desires and the fact that most of us have multiple interests and multiple dreams and mm. longings that we're trying to navigate which one is not the, yeah which one's the true one in short probably a better way to say that um but alongside that there's op- options is very crippling because there's always the fomo the fear of missing out it's yeah. like, okay if i take mm. one avenue will i miss out from the other avenue uh what at what, what how do I know that I'm not actually limiting my fullest potential by taking this mm-hmm. stream? Because you read a biography, and I, and I, and, you know, I'll read like a bio. I'm trying to read more biographies, but I read a biography of a theologian or uh, someone in 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 history, and how this one decision they took. Okay, so I just finished uh, um, Leland Riken's um, biography on J.I. Packer, and one of the parts near the end talked about his move. He he was a professor. Um, of theology in England in uh, like Oxford is it Oxford? Latimer King Oxford or Cambridge? Oxford sorry and Oxbridge (laughs) Oxbridge Oxbridge and he moved to Canada yeah to um, Vancouver um, British Columbia and 
Colombia, right? Yeah. British Colombia, yeah. Okay, yeah. That, that, anyway, <laughs> that felt weird coming out of my mouth. I was like, what? Uh, <laughs> and, you know, just the comments on how he was given the space to be able to write a lot more, to do a lot more good and to basically push out a lot. So he, he basically, the, the um, biographer argued that his that one move was probably one of the most significant moves that he ever took. The turning point. In, yeah, in terms of his um, writing career and so on and so forth. And then you read that and you're like, oh, what is my move? Like, mm. you know, let's say you, you get the decision, someone offers you a job in another country and you say, is this the move? But if I stay, is that the move? I- <laughs> so hard. It's so I just- hard. And you, and you see people in the past who've done this and you're like you don't want to miss out on yours yeah. you, you don't know, want to regret as well it, but you can't possibly know which one is yeah, the no. di- and so it's it, it's like it can be crippling because it can just make you freeze it's right. just it's ridiculous I even <laughs> even because I'm, I'm reading Becoming but um, there's like a, she mentions she met, she meets this guy he's, a, he's, he's becoming a doctor he was a really nice guy but she just broke up with him for a very frivolous reason and then she meets Barra but she's thinking to herself she could have actually just stayed with him yeah. and what would have happened what would have mm. what would the trajectory of her life been if she mm. stayed with him of course it would have been completely different but then that's still a good thing um, if she stayed with him or a good thing if she stayed with if she went with um, Barack Obama yeah. the first lady though yeah yeah she wouldn't have been <laughs> Flotus but um, it's like there's two good competing things and for, with me it's like I, I don't want to regret anything mm. and regret does kind of make me sometimes immobile so i'm like i don't mm. regret anything so i'm just i'm just gonna stay here mm. um yeah don't know and i guess I this this presents a um an interesting angle to this discussion where numbers of the choices that we're making are i think rachel uses the term morally neutral right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so very plausible that the decisions that you're having to consider aren't things that require you to compromise some aspects of your christian faith or anything like that yeah but ultimately they still lead us to a place of decision paralysis Mm-hmm. And I guess the temptation for a lot of people is just to rather than deal or confirm one way or the other to run or just to kind of stand there and look at the options and just be standing there, not making a decision. Um, and so they're left facing those competing options. And perhaps I guess naturally some of those things fall away because you haven't made a decision. But ultimately, some people just prefer not to have to be brought into a space where they have to be decisive on one thing or the other. So thinking about, you know, what ways in which you can make Christ honoring decisions and how to make decisions, you know, um, are there any kind of frameworks that you guys employ, any things that you guys keep in your mind when you're making? Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's a tough one um i think yolo (laughs) (laughs) yo sorry not even so it doesn't cut you off i remember being at university and making some awful decisions but based on that premise right yolo yeah (laughs) some awful decisions no but like and i think that was the way for just an entire generation of people right when that Mm. when that phrase when mm. that song, what was the song called? The Motto? Yeah, it's yeah. by um, the, the oh, poet. That, that famous uh, the Toronto poet. native poet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, Dre! Yeah. <laughs> right? That was, that was the catalyst for so many errors mm. in the lives of a number mm. of people. Do you think that's still a millennial thing though? The concept Yolo. of you only live once? I think it's particular to millennials. It's still there, but I don't think it's a movement or something. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just like a... 
Yeah, you're not hashtagging YOLO. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, but I think, yeah, I think but the, it's not, it's not the hashtag has, has yeah. died. But yeah. I think that mentality sometimes I think still pervades young yeah. people. I think it generally tends to pervade younger people or people with, with without the breadth of experience. Yeah, okay. which tends to be younger people. Obviously, it's not necessarily restricted to young people. Yeah. Um, but once you've had enough experience, you think actually I do need to think through. <laughs> yeah. And it's not even that you, that decision might not be the one you make. You might still make that decision, but you 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 understand the benefit of thinking through (laughs) before making a decision so you still want to just process and not just like do um without without thinking uh but back to decision making yeah Yeah, sorry i think okay um things that come to mind would be um doing i'm trying to find a a a christianese way to say this because i want to sound spiritual um but doing your (laughs) research basically discernment yeah I that mm, that could help. Can I reach? Can you force it? Like, how could you? How could you talk, talk about? Basically, you like to 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 know what you're actually deciding between. Okay. Yeah. I think one of the yeah, I think it does. It, it goes a long way to just rigorously process, um, the decisions that are before you to really think through the benefits and the disadvantages to think through about what it's going to ask of you in the, in the short term, immediate, um, mid, mid, medium term, so on and so forth. And just to process it like you would, you know, like if you were someone working in in your office and you had to make a decision for your company, you do, due diligence. That's the word. That's not even a spiritual word. So I feel like I lost some Christian points. Quite, anyway. Quite scary that my, my job entails a large part of that and it didn't even come to mind. <laughs> but that's besides the point. Sorry. <laughs> But yeah, like due diligence, I think it's 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 God ordained. Right. <laughs> like you know, God expects us to be able to to process things and to do our our our, our part in figuring things out. But also consulting people outside of yourself because your mind is a wandering maze mm-hmm. and you can get lost in it. And you do need voices outside of you who God has put in your life to just speak and gently guide or just to bring things to mind that you might have missed which can help um, figure things out or to be to confirm more one side more than another. Mm. Um, the last thing that comes to mind is from um, Kevin DeYoung's book, Just Do Something, is just do something. I think it, that's me jumping to the way, the very end of the process. And after all is said and done, um, life is uncertain and you and you, you do not know. This is accepting your finitude. You do not know what... The, outcome of that decision will be mm-hmm. uh do it uh, trust god in it and continue to work heartily through it yeah mm. and, and just sermon mm, mm, right there <laughs> expect a new blog post hashtag, i'm done hashtag, <laughs> mary do you have any um you know anecdotes, anecdotes but do you have any anything in mind also when you're thinking about decisions that you make um yeah actually so i i try I think in the last couple of years, I've tried to employ my parents. Um, it's, it's really strange. For a long time, I just saw these two people who raised me and mm. are older than me, but didn't think they would know things that I wouldn't know. Um, so, yeah, so there's, there's been times when I've had to make certain decisions uh, regarding work, regarding going to one job or another and kind of sitting my parents down and explaining it to them and, and them just dropping gems. I'm just like, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think about um, So I, I would just kind of, continue Israel's point of just counsel um and and praying during that process uh and then just doing ultimately you just have to do it 
Um, and and there are there going to be instances when you when you might make a decision and you instantly regret it, and mm-hmm. then even in that, you, there's there's God's sovereignty to be the the pillow that you can sleep on because you just don't know you don't know how much kind of foresight you have, and you might miss something, and you think, oh, why did I do this? I should have done something else, but it's been done, and, and there's nothing you can do but, but trust the Lord in that. What about you? Any anecdotes when you were? Yeah, there? I mean, I guess as part of due diligence, one of the things that you have to do. And again, something that Rachel mentions is like cutting the fat almost. Mm. So when you're making a, when you're trying to make a decision, cutting away all of the things that are expendable in that sense. So it's limiting your options, I think is the term that she uses. I was just trying to think of another way to say it without, without plagiarizing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> She's going to see you. Yeah, but literally, <laughs> <laughs> but like literally, um, you know, those things which are not necessarily the most pressing or the most substantive in the grand scheme of things. If you know that you've got, I don't know, perhaps maybe eight or 10 options, actually four or five of those things might not actually be that important or Mm. as, you know, consequential as four or five of the other things. So immediately stripping those away, having done the necessary due diligence. And then of course, Mm. um, attending to wise counsel, being prayerful, having your, your decisions guided by the word. I did say lastly, but Mary, you mentioned the word regret. Oh, mm. regret is big. I think regret is so big. And we could probably do an entirely different podcast on this, but just we could. As, a, as a last bit, dealing with regrettable decisions. Do you guys have any like major, you don't have to tell us what it is, but do you guys have any major like, regrets? Well, you guys have These been so open already. Um, do I have major regrets? So a lot of my regrets involve people. Yeah. Um, hmm. So it's, but I still, in my head, I still think they're repairable. Right. So they're not like crazy regrets. Right, right, right. Um, But I could imagine like, do you ever regret not finishing, not oh, becoming a doctor? I wonder that sometimes, you know, um, I, I think Or not that, being a scientist. I think that, I think that's going to hit me at another point in my life. I think um, in like 10 years, think i'll look back at it more thoroughly than i am now because i'm still just out of it and mm-hmm. i'm not at the fit i'm not at the at the place where i can be like oh by now i would be you know oh yeah when you start to track yeah, yeah. and and so i think the real in the real sort of like reflective um wrestling with what would life look what would life have looked like will probably come at a later point so similar to michelle obama thinking about okay now all of this has happened what happened if that one decision like yeah. way back had turned out differently and, and really then processing it? I, I imagine, yeah, that would happen at a later point. But I have I have thought about it like whether I, and at presently I don't regret it um, because I think it allowed me to really come to terms with the desires that I did have in my heart. Mm. Um, it was uncomfortable and in, in varying degrees uh, can be uncomfortable presently, but it's not a regret in my heart in terms of um career prospects and calling ambition desire and so on um do i have regrets maybe possibly probably oh you do (laughs) (laughs) like no no immediate one spring to mind but i'm sure if i if i thought about it deep enough you think of that yeah they exist i was actually i'm watching something today and they were talking about like past mistakes and forgiving yourself yeah um that term is quite interesting to me, but I, I get what they're trying to kind of point Hinter. to. Um, right. 
that it just dealing with if you've if you've done something that you you constantly regret um having to kind of get past it can be very difficult right um but of course the christian response to that is just of course god's sovereignty but understanding that christ actually has has died for your indiscretions or your, or your mistakes mm-hmm. um and that's very encouraging, but because in the world, like regrets is a big thing, and yeah. I think she 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 spoke briefly at the at the book launch about like nostalgia, regrets, um, things that you thought you would have accomplished you haven't accomplished, uh, and regret regret was something that they kind of came back to a few a few times because I think it is for the, a young person it is it does pervade the mind a lot of wow oh, why did I do that why didn't I why did I take that career why didn't I take that career step or why didn't I buy that house or why didn't I I don't know, get with that person or not get with that person. Yeah. It can be very, I don't know, I think regrets is, 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 is big. Yeah, um, maybe we'll save that for another time. Yeah. Um, mm. We've been keeping you guys for far too long, but we hope you've enjoyed, um, say part one of this series on Is This It? Shout out Are to we Rachel doing this? Jones. Is this ongoing? So we're going to, we're going to try and do like two or three more based Ooh. on the themes that emanate from the book. So, okay. um, I don't know if I should give you guys a rundown of what to expect, but teasers, she's got stuff in there about loneliness, about doubt and self-doubt. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, relationships, you yeah, know, yeah, I'm ready going, on a, <laughs> going on the gram and seeing all your friends having babies and getting married, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, so. you're still trying to cook your salad or um, <laughs> go to sleep on time. <laughs> go to sleep on time, I can get with. I get that. <laughs> I feel that. But yeah, all of that stuff to look forward to. So um, shout out to Rachel for producing this book. We'll mm. be looking more into it. And um, yeah, guys, take care. Enjoy the podcast. Peace. Bye.